0: I'm Laura, aka Biceps, personal trainer and soon to be published author of Lift Yourself out July the 25th. I believe that discovering health and fitness and weightlifting in particular has the power to change your life. It did mine. I found the power of lifting weights completely transformed my own personal body image, from wanting a thigh gap to feeling proud of my strong and athletic figure. After years of crazy diets and not feeling good enough, I finally felt physically successful. And I can't begin to describe how empowering it is to pick up something you didn't think you could. That feeling of ambition will transfer into your daily life and will have the habit of making you feel like you can achieve whatever you set your mind to, if you put in the work and have enough patience to see out the process. Ultimately, I believe that strength doesn't come from what you can do. It comes from overcoming the things you once thought you couldn't. I'll be exploring this idea every week, celebrating extraordinary men and women who share their stories of resilience, lifting others, and the challenges they faced along the way. Welcome to Biceps & Banter. I'm super excited to be partnering with Fitbit for this series. I'm officially obsessed with my Fitbit from tracking my sleep quality every night to monitoring my effort in workouts and general low-intensity activity throughout the day. I genuinely love the brand. For me, having an awareness of this kind of health data really does help me to lead a healthier, more active life, which is very important to me. I have found that using my Fitbit watch and having the app on my phone can help give you the motivation to track your movement and supports you in pursuing a more balanced and healthy lifestyle. And remember, if you're not assessing, you're just guessing. Okay, so welcome, Hazel. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. (laughs) So, thank you so much for coming on the show. Very welcome. I I like to call you the the superwoman herself because (laughs) I genuinely don't know how you manage the life that you lead, uh, the workload that you have. I'm still not convinced that you don't have a twin somewhere. I'm super inspired and I, I genuinely love your work ethic and dedication to enhancing your, your education. Mm-hmm. The Food Medic is essentially your brand that you created in, I believe, 2012. Is that yeah. right? Yeah.
1: Long time. Yeah, long time. Before the gram. I'm, no, it was started on the gram. Started but on the gram. Early,
0: early days. Early days. Mm-hmm. And you've, you're a practicing doctor.
1: Yep. Um, so can you tell us a bit more about that? So where, when, when did yeah. you start? I think for a long time, I didn't really consider the prospect of medicine as a career. I think it's because there's no one in my family who's in healthcare or medicine at all. Okay. So it it seemed like a very ambitious thing. But when I was 14, I lost my dad to a stroke. And I was actually sitting, having dinner with him and the rest of my family when he had his first stroke which then led on to an even bigger stroke and that took his life and i think experiencing that as a 14 year old like completely changed my life but yeah. also changed my perception of healthcare cuz i went into the hospital then and witnessed everything that the nurses and the doctors were doing and seeing that made me think wow i i want to be able to have the power to change and save people's lives and i know in, in that instance they didn't save my dad's life but it was out of their hands. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where my passion stemmed from. The, the Food Medic that
0: you have developed as a brand um, is sort of an educational platform, you say, and uh, a media group aimed at bridging the gap between traditional medical advice and the latest thoughts and developments in nutrition um, and other areas of lifestyle. So for you, it's about from your personal experience, how can you inspire others and and do you feel like you you're you're getting to do that
1: yeah I I found it really hard to kind of like summarize what the food medic was that little kind of short paragraph you read out because to be honest with you I kind of fell into this all those years ago and I started on Instagram and it started as a personal kind of thing where I myself wanted to improve my health going into medicine I wanted to be a doctor who didn't just kind of really appreciate the power of medicine and surgery, but also lifestyle. And so that's when I started my journey. And Instagram was like my little personal portfolio, I guess. Yeah. And soon people started following me and saying, oh, wow, it's it's great that you're, you know, you're a student, a medical student, because you know what you're talking about. And I was like, actually, that makes me very different. Yeah. And so it started from there. And then I quickly had to kind of catch up with how fast it was growing. And yeah. I realised... This is a gift and I need to use it to help kind of do something really positive. And so it's become an educational platform and I try my best to kind of integrate not just like um doctors but other kind of healthcare professionals. So it's more of a, a team approach yeah. because I very much understand my limitations as a doctor, um, which is why I've gone back to uni again because I think you know, you're you should be constantly learning, and yeah. learning never stops. Once you get that degree Absolutely. in your hand, it's an art to be able to distill science into a way that's really fun, easy, accessible, which is what I try to do with the food medic.
0: Absolutely, and I, th- I think you 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 do that in such a a way because of the person you are. You're so uh, I feel like you're very approachable nature, um, and I f- I feel like the the level of trust that I personally have, and, and I can see others have in you is is exceptional because you take so much care in everything that you put out and I think we're in a a day now where you know potentially followers equals knowledge and you know social media can be absolutely incredible Mm. there's a lot of terrible information out there how does someone navigate the Instagram as to what is good advice or not
1: it's it is terrifying and I think sitting back and thinking about when I started my journey, even with one degree under my belt, I definitely um fell for kind of the whole followers as equals equals to knowledge or success. Yeah. Um so you know, there's huge doctors in America, for example, and they're very good at promoting themselves because a lot of them are, you know, it's privatised healthcare over there. So yeah. you want to sell yourself and they're yeah. very good at it. Um, and lots of them have books and things like that. And I'd follow these these books and these cool diets like Paleolithic Diet or Caveman Diet or Keto, whatever it was cool. I never really questioned it because, hey, they're a doctor, I'm a medical student, I'm not going to qu- question that. Yeah. Till I realised that actually having a qualification doesn't necessarily mean that A, you know what you're talking about or B, that you're talking about the things that you should be talking about. So, I mean, I don't want that to be confusing for people. I don't want people to go out and question every healthcare professional that's on the internet. It's definitely better to get advice off a regulated health professional than someone who's not regulated. But I would say to... Don't believe everything you read and, um, again, check your sources. So do they have a legitimate background? Do other people back them? That kind of thing. I wouldn't go with the whole kind of story N equals one. And what I mean, what I mean by that is the whole N equals one means it worked for me, so it'll work for you. Yeah. And you get a lot of that in the internet. You know, I tried this diet, you try this diet and it'll work for you or this workout or this celery juice, you know, and that's just, nah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, I think um, maybe a few years ago, a less educated biceps would have would have definitely done a juice cleanse before Ibiza. And, I'll, you know, I'll be very mm. honest. I've tried. I've experienced probably all of the diets that you just uh, you just described. I once did a diet with a friend at when I was working at L'Oreal where we ate we set a timer and we ate an almond every half an hour. Oh my god. Because and just this ridiculous I don't know where we got it from, but there was something that said, you know, almonds is a good diet food. So okay, great, I'm gonna eat that and only have a handful, right? So I'm gonna get that out through the day. And you know, that kind of you know, eat almonds as a good diet snack can be taken in five million ways. Yeah. And you've got people doing something that isn't necessarily in the pursuit of of health. Um, I think what I what I find amazing about the work you do is obviously how relatable you you make it. You know the people that know can understand it and evidence based approaches etc. But your average Joe, your you know Deborah from down down the road, how is she meant to apply you know quite specific principles to her lifestyle? Mm. I think one of the things I see is you know that it worked for me or you know everyone should be able to meal prep.
1: What if you really can't? I think that's a really good point and something that we really miss a lot. Um, You know, especially within the media, especially in London, we're super privileged. We've got access to the best gyms, meal prep services, you know, vegan restaurants, everything. Like I I actually did Veganuary this year as a bit of a challenge. I eat mainly veggie, but going vegan was quite a big step because I'm a cheese and chocolate lover. Yeah. We forget about the bubble that we live in in oh, London. 100%. We forget about the privileges we have and not just in London, but like if you have access to a kitchen, for example, if you know how to cook, if you know, you know, if you've got cooking skills, if you've got preparation skills, if you can afford good cookbooks, if you can get a nap, there's yeah. things like that that we don't really think about. So. Bearing that in mind, I wrote my first cookbook as a student living in a dinky little house in Cardiff with about like 600 flatmates. And (laughs) I had to write all these recipes in a very small kitchen with a tiny budget because I was a second time student as well. And the kind of the focus was make them healthy, make them delicious, make them cheap. Yeah. And it worked. And, you know, the book was a bestseller. and So I've kind of continued that throughout my life. I'm just like, you know what, regardless of whether I can um, afford to go to Whole Foods or not, I'm going to make sure that all the recipes I use or make, all the ingredients you can buy in any supermarket, it shouldn't be out of too many people's budgets. And it should be really easy to make. And kind of keeping those core principles so that, you know, being healthy can be accessible for most people. Yeah. Um, and sticking to my guns that way.
0: OK. Would you describe it as intuitive eating? How how I've heard a lot about that kind of method of, yeah. of nutrition.
1: So intuitive eating is really interesting. Um, I think it's kind of been hijacked by the diet industry again, because they're like, you know, eat what your body wants you to eat but don't eat too much of X or yeah. eat more of this. What if I intuitively took down half of Ben and Jerry's? <laughs> what happens then? Was that pursuing health? I don't know. Yeah. So intuitive eating is kind of like eating what you want in an unrestricted manner. And it doesn't mean like, you know, going out and gorging on donuts for, you know, a week. If you did do that, you'd feel pretty sick by the end of the first day. Yeah. And to be honest, when some people embark on that journey, they do end up binging initially. And then they kind of finally tend to find their feet. Yeah. Um, So I say I would eat intuitively, like I definitely don't put any restrictions on my diet. I'm the type of person that will eat chocolate every day. But I also don't feel like I can't stop myself and have to eat the whole bar, whereas I know that some people find they lose control around food and... I don't feel like that happens. Okay, I'm sure at one point it did. And like you said earlier, I have gone through that period of my life where I believed that I needed to diet and that I needed to look a certain way or fit into a certain size in order to be healthy. Yeah. I think knowing from an educational point of view that health isn't, you know, that appearance and, and our weight isn't actually a good indicator of health. You know, healthy behaviours like following a good diet, exercising, yeah. sleep, they're good health behaviours and that's what equals health. Yeah. So I think I try to focus on them and I do that as well with my patients, with people I speak to online, with people I see face-to-face. Let's focus on health behaviours and let's take away from how you look or how you think you should look. Yeah, I, complete, I
0: completely agree with this. I th- I think if I was... I think at the doctors I'm told I'm obese. Mm. You know from from a BMI perspective obviously that's quite an old way of of as just a, a directional measure but I think people do get very caught up in weight, in body fat percentages, in you know abs equals health and you know as we know the reality is not that. You know you can have genuine health at any size. So would you be able to explain a little bit more, expand on the health indicators?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So like you just said, BMI is, tends to be the kind of like crude measure that we use for health in terms of like adiposity. So adiposity just being our fat mass. Yeah. And what it is essentially is a measure of height and weight. And so that could mean that for your height, you might be considered too heavy. But what BMI doesn't tell us is, is your weight made up of all fat or is it made up of fat and muscle yeah. or is it made up of X, Y and Z? So that's why the BMI is such a poor, poor indicator of health. And yeah. like, read any paper and everyone says that. The only thing is it's really useful from a research point of view to look at a population okay. so we can look at kind of weights in that, in that kind of way. But looking at an individual individual, it's kind of like I don't find it useful unless it's kind of you're using it to complement all the other things that you're measuring. Yeah. So it's pretty useless, to be honest. Good. And then when it comes to body <laughs> fat, again, that's, you know, there's so many different ways you can do it. Um, there's lots of impedance measurements that you can use. You can do caliper testing and things like that. Yeah. They all have pros and cons. It all depends on who's doing it. Most of them are very inaccurate. And also people like chase these arbitrary numbers Uh that to be honest, are far, far too low, especially for women. So if, if your body fat gets too low, for example, then essentially your body just kind of clings to what it can cling to. Yeah. So you're, um, if you are pursuing weight loss, that will slow down. And also other important processes like your hormones will kind of get all messed up. So women tend to like lose their periods. Yeah. So there's lots of knock on effects. But when it comes to looking at health indicators, there's so many other things that we can focus on. And that can be things that we can measure. So blood pressure, cholesterol
0: yeah.
1: um, and other blood biomarkers. But we can also look at, like we said earlier, weight and height and yeah. um, waist to hip ratio. So, again, looking at whether you're kind of apple or pear shaped that can tell us the risk of your um, kind of cardiovascular. So heart health risk. Yeah. But now we're looking at things like your stress levels. How are you sleeping? Um, So many other things that we didn't typically take into consideration. And now we're like, actually, what is health? And it's not just one measurement. It's not just how you look. It's all encompassing. Absolutely. Um, So I think for people who are like, hey, I want to focus on my health, but I don't want to focus on my appearance. I would say take a step back, look at the health behaviors that you can focus on whether to diet, whether to sleep, whether to stress management or whether to exercise, focus on those things. You may find that your appearance will change as a byproduct.
0: Absolutely, yeah. But it may not. And that doesn't matter. That does not say
1: whether you're successful or you're a failure.
0: Absolutely. And I think from the fitness industry that I'm in, I guess the most common um, goal that I I hear from clients is uh, lose a bit of weight and tone up. That's essentially what people want. So fat. most people are are chasing fat loss. And there is a million different methods of achieving that and, and very few principles. And like we talked about sort of um, paleo or keto diets, they're all different methods mm. to apply a certain principle that just because it worked for someone else doesn't mean it would work for you. So how would you advise someone if if fat loss is someone's goal, How would you advise them to go about starting that journey?
1: If it's your goal and you're absolutely 100% sure that that's what you want to do, fat loss tends to mean that you're kind of losing adipose tissue. So kind of the fat that you can um, kind of pinch, but also the fat around your organs and kind of get more lean body mass or so more muscle mass and things like that and if you're focusing on that what I would say is you have to be in a calorie deficit and that is just kind of basic laws of yeah. of thermodynamics you need to kind of burn more energy than you consume yeah it's difficult to do that through exercise alone and the kind of the most successful programs tend to be diet and exercise yeah but when it comes to the best diet, there is no best diet. Yeah. And if you line them all up and see why are they all, you know, why did these diets work? They tend to all work because you are in a calorie deficit. Yeah. And to be honest, some people just find certain ones more suitable to their lifestyle so they might find that actually they do really well on um, a vegan diet because they love carbohydrates or they might do really well on a high fat diet because they love nut butters and oily fish and things like that so I would say if you want to do it you do probably need to focus on reducing your calories but don't feel like you have to eat in a certain way or cut out all the foods that um, someone else cut out or include all the foods that someone else said you should include because there's no wonder food, there's no wonder diet that's going to do it for you. Exactly.
0: I I once went on um, a diet in Ibiza once which consisted of a couple of mulberry Lights and a Calippo which was absolutely useless, but I probably lost weight because I ate absolutely nothing. Was it good for my health? No, it was a short-term fix, and I was stupid and didn't know any better at the time. But there are these quick fixes out there, yeah. and they're being advertised heavily. There really, for me, isn't any any substitute for kind of managing your nutrition and being active. And these short-term fixes, in experience and observed, they don't tend to work no. because you'll you'll get some immediate effect. But what is actually the long-term impact? And, and I think it's, it's also challenging when trying to track your progress. So weight is, has, there are a million different ways, reasons in which your weight will differ. Mm. Um, so can, can you explain a bit about that? So if yeah. I'm working really hard, I've got my calorie deficit, it's not too aggressive um, and I can manage it,
1: but I'm just not losing any weight, what's happening when it comes to women we tend to our weight tends to cycle a lot throughout the the month um particularly around our menstrual cycle we tend to hold on to a lot of water so again when you stand on the scales you don't know whether that weight has increased because you have like you're holding on to a lot of water or because you've put on fat cuz i get a lot of you know a lot of people who say or i hear a lot of people say Oh, my God, I had a, you know, really big weekend and I've put on a kilo and I'm like, yeah. there's no way you've put on a kilo over a weekend. Like, it's just not possible. You're probably like, you know, full of food because yeah. you've enjoyed yourself this weekend and holding on to a bit of water. Don't stress about it. Yeah. Um, but what I find or what we find when people do go on diets is the thing is your body hates losing weight it does not want to lose weight it will fight tooth and nail to hold on to those pounds (laughs) and um it's really interesting because initially we see like when people go on especially like low calorie diets their weight will drop initially and then it will just slow down and we also see that their um their basal metabolic rates are just their normal metabolism that helps them get from a to b every day will slow down massively. So yeah. they, they're not burning as much energy. Yeah. Um, their hormones also change, which is really interesting. So ghrelin, the hormone that makes us hungry, that increases. So you're hungrier. You become obsessed with food. And yeah. also your appetite's less suppressed. So you're hungrier. Your appetite's not suppressed. Your basal metabolic rate's low. <laughs> your libido's low. You're you're depressed. So there's yeah. all of these things that kind of stop you from losing weight. Um, and the thing is, if you, you want to get over that hump, then people suggest like, you know, changing your diet or reducing your calories anymore. Yeah. And you need to think about it. Is it worth it? Is it yeah. worth messing up like my metabolism, my hormones in pursuit for this lower weight? So, I mean, it's not completely impossible and there is a place for weight loss. There is a um, a time and a place when when diets can be appropriate. Yeah. And I, I especially think that when it comes to special therapeutic diets. So at the moment, they're like trialing really low calorie diets and shakes with people who have type two diabetes and they're getting fantastic results. Okay. And I would never, ever prescribe that for anyone But when I see those results and I see people going into remission from type 2 diabetes and they're able to, you know, get full health back again, it's hard not to see. It's hard not to say, hey, well, I see the place there. But for, you know, a 25 year old girl who's going to Ibiza in eight weeks (laughs) and she asks me, should I go on the shake diet? I'm going to say absolutely bloody no. Yeah, I
0: agree (laughs) with you there.
1: One of the biggest questions I get asked is how
0: I stay motivated to be active beyond my day job as a trainer. I need to ensure I'm moving enough and also if I have had a particularly active day, I need to ensure I'm fueling my body enough to perform. I can't talk enough about the benefits of managing your sleep and the quality of it. Going from a stressful or high energy job to having to wind down and get an early night can sometimes be a challenge and it definitely affects how I feel and how much energy I have the next day. My Fitbit helps me to track the various sleep stages I'm in, from light sleep to deep sleep, right through to REM. So if I haven't managed to get a solid seven to eight hours, I need to be aware that I might not be on top form for the next day. By tracking my personal stats through features like heart rate monitoring, active minutes over the day, as well as my sleep data, I have a much better understanding of my overall health. And I think, you know, we, we talk about the, the types of goals that people have. What I have certainly seen, and, and I've, I've experienced it in, I guess, my own personal evolution, um, especially in sort of if body confidence, is the comparison between athletics and aesthetics mm. um, and i definitely feel like many years ago it was just about you know ca- how thin can i get and and you know i'll be very very honest about that because i felt like that was my value yeah you know and i think there's there's many things that contribute to me wanting to feel that way but over the years and thank god i've i've managed to get to a place where i don't even think about it anymore mm. i'm i'm definitely not the weight that i was but i'm so content because i've fallen in love with what my body can do mm. and i think for me personally it's got so much to do with discovering sort of weightlifting and and crossfit which um, as well, just you know, just to add to Hazel's uh, profile, she's also a personal trainer, <laughs> um, and, and Hazel and I have spent a fair bit of time at a different kind of bar. <laughs> yeah. Um in, in the squat rack um at CrossFit. So that's something that you've you've fallen in love with too.
1: Yeah. I think that's it's really interesting that you've come through that journey. I think a lot of people are gonna resonate with that. And some people might still be kind of in that space where they still put a huge amount of value on weight. And for some people it's not even weight loss. For some people they put a huge amount of value of having like a certain part of their body change. So it might be, yeah. you know, for guys that might be getting bigger arms or you know for girls that I'm might be a a bum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, But we become so obsessed with how we look. And it's, again, we put our health on appearance. And that's such a poor indicator because you can be super skinny with a six pack um, and you can not have your periods. And that means you're not fertile and you can't reproduce, which is not healthy. Or, you know, you could get to a place where you look incredible. You're really strong and muscly. Your diet's pristine. Your life is pristine but you've completely sacrificed your social life and your yeah. mental health. Yeah. So I think when it comes to, like, pursuit of health, it's, like, focusing on on both, on, like, your mental health and your physical health and focusing on functionality, like, what yeah. can you do, I think is so powerful because yeah. I'm the same as you, like... Moving towards weightlifting and CrossFit, I found that I now go to the gym thinking about like the weights that I'm lifting. Am I able to, you know, walk on my hands? Not yet. I was <laughs> gonna say. I was gonna say
0: she she's very close. I've seen her. She can she can handstand push up <laughs> yeah. easy.
1: So things like that, where I'm like, you know, my weight doesn't come into that. You know, like how I look doesn't come into that. Yeah. And I know that that culture is still like, still remains even in CrossFit. Like, people still chat about diets and things like that. The one thing I love is that people go there to train. And when it comes to the actual wad, the workout, it's just gloves off and you just get it done. And that's so much better than when you go to a class where they're like, right, you got to burn those calories. Think about those Easter eggs or Christmas or whatever. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just, for, for me, it's kind of, is that transactional relationship, isn't it? Is I have eaten a bad food, therefore I need to torture myself. Yeah. And there is, just like you said, there's no good or bad food. There's no good or bad exercise or, or an exercise more suited to, to get a certain goal. And I think you're right in terms of, you know, the trend now is to have a big bum. Mm. There is um, you know a million and one videos on Instagram oh God. that yeah that sh- that show you how to do this with some sort of you know four sets of donkey kickbacks and you you you're Kim Kardashian in 7 days. I know. How 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 I don't understand a how that gets popularity. But B like as a a doctor and a and a, and a PT what's your view on that?
1: Well, I think that just kind of like epitomises the problem with um, health and appearance being equated to one another, because most of those people are, you know, have a background where they have inherited quite a big bum or, you know, they've got the body type where they've naturally got a large bum because the exercises that they're doing are, are 100% not going to be, like, hitting your glutes. They're definitely not the most <laughs> effective glute exercises. So you're, like, in no way is bouncing around with a band around your hips, like, <laughs> doing anything. Yeah. And the, the fact that people come back time and time again. But, like, I guess what's interesting is that the people that are sharing these um, videos and things are really good-looking and that's the only way yeah. of putting it They're to society they're really good-looking they're um appealing to watch um they also are really kind of personable on instagram so lots of people want to follow them yeah. people want to get involved they create tribes that people yeah. want to be a part of absolutely and also a lot of them are kind of like I guess, things that you can, that aren't super difficult. So unlike CrossFit, if you, if I put up a CrossFit video, for example, I know 90% of my followers aren't going to be interested in that because they're like, okay. well, I can't do that. Okay. But if I put up a home workout, 90% of my followers will be like, right, done, On I can it. do that. So I think one thing that they're getting right with those videos is they're easy to do.
0: Yeah.
1: The thing that they're getting wrong is they're completely ineffective. And they're super misleading. And it doesn't just stop at exercises. You know, you see them then, like, the next post they share will be, like, some kind of shake or flat tea or something like that. Yeah. Like, I, that <laughs> is my book bear. Yeah,
0: I think, well, there are so many benefits, as we both know, to, to strength training. Mm. Um, And you don't have to be hulking around 100 kilos. It's It's about what is challenging for you, you know, applying progressive overload to... To improve, I guess, your, your lean muscle mass to make you stronger and and, and, and live a, a longer a longer life. But there is still so much stigma attached to weightlifting, and you say yourself, like, you know, it is very advanced. A lot of your followers might not find it's accessible. So what do you think will dispel the the myths or the rumors that you're gonna turn into the Hulk as soon as you look at the barbell?
1: Well, when we Talking about women in, in particular, like we are built in a different way. We don't have the same types of hormones that men have. We don't have as high circulating testosterone. So first of all, it's really difficult for us as women to get to build muscle. It's much easier for men. Yeah. Second of all, you need to be lifting heavy loads progressively, consistently over a long period of time to even get a, build a small amount of muscle. Amen. And you need to be... <laughs> in a calorie surplus. So you need to be having excess calories and also that needs to include both protein and carbohydrates. Protein is important for muscle synthesis. Carbohydrates is also important and also helps to kind of rebuild your glycogen stores, so the stores of carbohydrates in your muscles so that you can train. I think people forget that. So you've got like those three factors involved. Like I've been lifting for seven years now and it's taken me a long time to build muscle. Like, uh-huh. I feel like people look at you and they're just like, oh, you must have done, like, you know, how did you get here? Like, you've done that so quickly. I'm like, I've been life. doing this for seven years. Yeah. It's taken me ages to do that. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I remember not being able to, like, put a barbell on my back because it was too heavy. I had, like, yeah. the bicep curl bar on my yeah. <laughs> for Yes. In the gym. Go on. <laughs> yeah. um, and yeah, so like one of my biggest things to women is like, oh, please do not be afraid of weightlifting because the the benefits of weightlifting, like yeah. you said, when it comes to building lean muscle mass and resistance training, it's not just kind of having a strong core or, you know, strong arms or whatever it might be. It's that it, you know, strengthens your bones as women. We need to keep our bones strong. Yeah. And also it doesn't So weightlifting or anything actually really can't reduce, it can't enhance your longevity. But what it can do is reduce the kind of effects of ageing. So you can actually be fitter when you're older if you weightlift. And like there's so much evidence for that. Even like beyond diet, I would put like exercise above diet when it comes to longevity because yeah. it can it improves your balance, your strength, reduces your risk of falls. I know this is all things that we're like not really worried about until we're like eighty, but if you don't worry about it on until then yeah. it's too late yeah, absolutely <laughs> so um yeah I'm super passionate about it and if I could I'd get all doctors to prescribe exercise
0: yeah th- this is the thing and I think we have seen the evolution of participation in sport and particularly in, in weightlifting and the effects not just physically but like mentally like if you've had a bad day mm. you've had a stressful day it can feel incredibly empowering and in and a, and a way, it's almost like, f- for me, I, I kind of call it my therapy. It's my time where it's just me and the barbell and, and the barbell doesn't lie. You know, sometimes yeah. it feels heavy, sometimes it feels better. And I, you know, I I, I find that's my time where nothing else matters mm. at that point. But I was a beginner once too, just as you were back squatting the bicep bar. <laughs> I, c- I remember I couldn't do a box jump. Yeah. I, I I first went to CrossFit And I remember just feeling mortified because the instructor, she was incredible. And she was like, right, five or whatever it was, 500 box jumps or whatever (laughs) crazy what it was, right? And I was thinking, oh, God, when am I going to tell them I I actually can't do one? And being a beginner is can feel absolutely terrifying. Mm. And as much as we, you know, we see all this stuff going on on Instagram and it's incredibly inspiring. uh, So my friend, my friend Gemma, she's she's competing um, in the world's strongest woman she can press probably more than my deadlift and it's inspiring but very unachievable for me. Yeah. So where would you tell somewhere someone to start as a beginner?
1: I think there's so much value in um, kind of getting at least, like even just one personal training session and, and going in and telling them, this is where I'm at, you know, this is what I want to achieve, show me the ropes, And just get someone to assess your form. If you can afford it, sign up for even like a couple of weeks. Go to classes with instructors that you know are kind of considered to be good within the industry. I know that's kind of difficult and it's hard to measure that. But again, similar to health professionals, you've got PTs who get their qualifications and then they're like, right, I'm done. Like, it should be a continuous learning. So you want to be going to classes where you see health professionals and PTs who are, you see them go to other courses. They've got other credentials. They check your form in class. They give you advice, like that kind of stuff. So what I'd say is try to invest in in getting a PT. And also don't be afraid to start in the beginning because... We all start in the beginning. Some people can't box jump. Some people squat with a bicep bar in their back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: We've both been there. Don't you worry. There, there is promise for for everyone out there, but it t- it takes time. This is the thing, and I think for for me, it's been a, it's been an, an amazing journey. But I think um, as we were talking, you know, it's a holistic view that it's not just if I'm eating well, if I'm exercising like a madman. There, there has to be some other foundations uh, that are, I guess, other indicators of, of health and wellness, which for me is sleep. Mm. Like, I, I could I could be doing whatever I could, but if I haven't had a, a good night's sleep, I'm stuffed. So can, can you share a little bit about the importance of, I guess, you know, rest, recovery, sleep, and, you know, just overall sort of mindfulness in life?
1: Yeah, sleep is really important. I think it's, um, again... At medical school, we had one lecture on sleep. Um, we didn't have anything on physical activity, to be honest, and not a huge amount of nutrition. But what we're re- realising now, um, it, particularly in healthcare, is how important sleep is, particularly over a long period of time. So kind of like how much sleep are you getting throughout your life and then where does that lead you in terms of your risk of disease in the future? Yeah. And we know this from people who are night shift workers, and um, so they're kind of like working when we're all sleeping and their circadian rhythms, So their internal clocks are kind of backwards. Yeah. They tend to have an increased risk of disease like heart disease and things like okay. that. So we know that there's something going on um, when it comes to our circadian rhythms and our health. And that's just over a long period of time. But, it, you know, in in the short term, we all know that like if you have a poor night's, um, sleep, you tend to have like your performance dip and we know this. Yeah. So like, for example, have you heard of Matthew Walker's book, why why we sleep it's absolutely incredible it's so good yeah if yeah. you haven't
0: you need you need to read it you you'll never miss a night's sleep again after reading it i'm i'm all about the sleep hygiene these days yeah
1: absolutely and he chats about like how traditionally interns so kind of doctors who are in their kind of first years you have to do like these crazy long shifts which are like 24 36 hours and you see like an absolute dip in their performance by the end of it but like I mean, that's a no brainer. You're going yeah. to feel like useless. But think about if you're having less than sufficient sleep, even if it's an hour or less over a long period of time. What are you missing out on? What health gains are you missing out on? And yeah. we grow when we're asleep. You know, your growth hormone's elevated when you're asleep. Yeah. So when it comes to people who are actually keen on, you know, growing muscle or performance in the gym, you got to sleep. That's when you make those gains. So are you saying abs aren't actually made in
0: the kitchen, they're made in bed? Made in bed. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> That's news. That, Hashtag
1: that, abs are made in bed.
0: Yeah, Sort
1: of, weird, isn't it? <laughs> um,
0: and then what about... So one of the, the things that I struggle with is, I guess, um stress as a whole. Now, I suppose I'm, I'm fairly fortunate in the grand scheme of things that I don't have too much to be stressed about, but we do all experience our own levels of stress. And one of the best podcasts that I have listened to and I've told you this already, is um, the one on your podcast with uh, Dr. Chatterjee yeah. about um, about stress and, and how to manage it. And it was, although quite basic in, in principle, I hadn't thought about it like that, that, you know, in our busy lives, we wake up to the worst alarm sound ever. Oh, I know. And you go, and I, every time I think, why haven't I changed that? Because surely <laughs> it could be like... Nicki Minaj or something—I don't know—something a bit better than like a horrendous <laughs> fire alarm. And then I look at my phone. I've got ten WhatsApps. My Instagram's saying something. Mum's text me saying, "Can you call?" You know, you're already a little bit late. You can't find your clothes before you've left the house. There's there's five things that have stressed you out. And mm. then you get onto the tube or you make your journey. You get into the car, and before I've arrived at my my place of work, I'm stressed so how how does how does this have a i guess a
1: short and, and long term effect and and what could we do
0: to try yeah. and manage
1: it so it is really simple in principle, but when you sit back and think about all the kind of stimuli that yeah. like affect us every day, we have kind of this um our nervous system can be grossly broken up into our parasympathetic and our sympathetic and our sympathetic tends to be our fight or flight. So that one that like kicks off whenever you need to do anything. And that could be, that historically has been like running from a tiger, but now it's like running from your inbox. And, you know, yeah, it could be WhatsApp, (laughs) you know, it's, it's Instagram, it's all of these things. Yeah. And, we are so switched on mm. in our day-to-day lives. We have so much to do. We are so hyper-stimulated that we're constantly in that sympathetic, highly stressed mode. If that happens day on day over a long period of time, your hormone levels, your cortisol levels are going to be so elevated. Yeah. That's linked to multiple health problems. You're going to yeah. be so hyper-stimulated that you're going to run yourself into a rut. You're going to burn yourself out.
0: Yeah.
1: There are ways, though, by kind of toning down that sympathetic drive by tapping into your parasympathetic drive. okay, And the ways of doing that are things like breathing exercises. Mm-hmm. So um, inhalation and exhalation, having like long periods of exhalation to try dampen down that response, creating an environment that's not stimulating to you. So in the morning, can you get rid of your phone? Can you get an alarm clock that? You just need to switch off. Maybe don't look at your phone until you leave the house. Can you turn off some of your notifications? Can you create an environment so that when you leave in the morning, it's seamless? So maybe pack your bag the night before, maybe prep your breakfast the night before. And think about the things in your life that don't really serve you, um, that may be stressing you out. So, for example, I've gone back to uni and, it means that I'm doing a lot of writing and research and stuff like that where I need to really focus. Mm-hmm. But then another part of my job is online where I've got loads of notifications, I've got emails, I've got yeah. things like that. What I do is just put my phone in airplane mode. Yeah. And it's just so peaceful. Yeah. Like, I actually couldn't care. I, <laughs> I could go all day not looking at my phone because I love that peace and quiet. Yeah. I'm so focused on what I'm doing. I'm enjoying like the music I'm listening to. Yeah. I can just take my time, whatever. The days that I maybe switch off airplane mode and, and check my inbox and then see, you know, that emails come in and I try to go back to work and then I'm ruminating on the email. And they're the things that will stress you out. And it might not seem like a big deal, but yeah. that, they add up. Those yeah. stresses add up. So what I would say is find or create yourself a toolbox that you can tap into when you're feeling stressed So it might be that you really enjoy doing yoga and you feel that that really takes you away from the stresses of your life or breathing exercises or meditation. And I find meditation apps are actually really handy. Lots of people say like, oh, it makes no sense because you're on technology. And well, you know, not everyone has access to, you know, a meditation master to coach them through. (laughs) So I'm going to use my phone. Yeah. or just doing simple things like taking yourself for a coffee, having a bubble bath. It sounds a little bit fluffy, but actually, yeah. if they're the things that help unstress you, yeah. then do it. You're right. It's about taking control and
0: taking yourself away once you acknowledge just how much stimulus we experience throughout the day. Mm. And we are so connected and there's that pressure that, oh, an email's just coming, I need to respond straight away or, you know, I'm not good at my job. If we responded immediately to every single stimulus, we'd we'd be like we're running away from ten tigers. Mm. It's um it's it's one of those things that I think social media and our phone. Like I'm on the tube and just everyone is looking at their phone. Yeah. At dinner, people are on their phone. We are we just can't get seem to get out of our hands. So I think you're right. For me, just get that airplane mode on, or find that thing that just takes you away. Yeah. And and can allow you t- you to you to breathe.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because the World Health Organization actually just brought out guidelines on phone use or technology use. And they're actually recommending like limiting the amount of time we spend on our screens. Yeah. So it's not just they're not just talking about diet and exercise anymore. It's actually our phones and technology wow. can affect our health and this can be directly and indirectly um through like messing up again our our internal body clock but also when you're on your phone or you're on your screen or tablet or whatever and you say you're eating your meal for example you tend to be less satisfied you tend to eat more of the wrong types of foods um, and things like that so actually I think what we'll see is that we're going to have to limit or kind of have recommendations around how much we use our phone
0: yeah completely i honestly there are days where i could spend an hour looking at memes or or or, or i i search so hard i end up back on my own profile and i'm like what have i just done with the last hour i know i know it's it's It's, it's
1: crazy you just go into this like whirlpool of instagram and you're on you know your ex-boyfriend's great-grandmother's <laughs> dogs great grandmother's child's that know? sounds like a very weird family i'm glad he's an ex
0: well i just want to uh thank you so much for your time today
1: Welcome. um as me.
0: a as a fellow woman in fitness in the industry I, you know i really think that you are as I said, paving the way and bridging the gap between medicine and and everyday understanding. So thank you for all that you do in sharing your vast experience um, and learnings. And on a personal basis, um, Hazel is an absolute boss in the gym, by the way. She's she's very downplaying, the the work that she does. She is super strong. Um, If you don't follow Hazel already, please do at the Food Medic um she has written multiple books and she has a website foodmedic.co.uk. Co- the
1: <laughs> there we go. There we go.
0: So thank you so thank much you. Hazel. Thanks for having me. And that's it team, another episode down. And as ever, I want to round this up with a final thank you to all the gang at Fitbit because without the team there this podcast wouldn't be possible. Using all the resources I can access with my Fitbit means I can utilize personalized insights and have guidance on how to improve my overall health and well-being. At the end of each day, I like to check my stats to just evaluate my day and gives me the reassurance I need that I am pursuing a healthy and active lifestyle. See you next time, team.